Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Scott. Today we have another great book ahead of us. We have a lot to talk about today. I hope you guys are all excited. There will be two podcast episodes today because I finished two books this week, which is very exciting. So please stay tuned after this podcast for the next one. The book that I'm currently going to discuss is called Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. It is a best-selling national book. Um, it was an, it won a national book award and it was a finalist. Um, it is gotten very, very high ratings, and we're going to do a new thing where I compare what I rate a book versus what other people rate the, these books that I'm reading. Uh, this book got a 4.33 out of 5 on goodreads.com, um, and now we're going to read the book description. In the early 1900s, teenaged Sanja, the adored daughter of a crippled fisherman, falls for a wealthy stranger at the seashore near her home in Korea. He promises her the world, but when she discovers that she is pregnant and that her lover is married, she refuses to be bought. Instead, she accepts an offer of marriage from a gentle, sickly minister passing through on his way to Japan. But her decision to abandon her home and to reject her son's powerful father sets off a dramatic saga that will echo down through the generations. Richly told and profoundly moving, Pachinko is a story of love, sacrifice, ambition, and loyalty. From bustling street markets to the halls of Japan's finest universities, to the pachinko parlors of the criminal underworld, Lee's complex and passionate characters, strong and stubborn women, devoted sisters, sons, and fathers are shaken by a moral crisis, survive and thrive against the indifferent arc of history. All right, so to summarize our quick little beginning and opening here, this book is divided into three parts, which covers a large time period in history from about the early 1900s to about 1989 when the book ends. Um, and of course, it's going to cover multiple generations of people and characters. I'm going to do my best to summarize all of that. The main character is Sunja, who we're going to get into here shortly as the fisherman's daughter. Uh, but before we go any further, a couple things. One, follow this podcast. Please be sure to get the word out. Share it with your friends. I would love to meet you guys, talk to you. Tell me what I should read next. Please leave me feedback. Rate it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get this podcast and tell a friend about it, and take care of people if you can, too. All right, having said all that, if you've already done that part, a couple other things you should know is that this story is pretty dark. And I say dark because it does cover factual events that did happen in history, events that are very important, which we're going to talk about today, the colonization of Korea by Japan, and, of course, the atomic bomb, you know, bombings of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and, of course, the attitudes of racism that Japan and Korea have towards one another today. Um, there's still many, many bad blood relationships between Koreans and Japanese. Um, there's also good elements to that, which I don't want to pass over because there are people that do care for one another. But it's very important to understand that Japan and Korea have a very, very long history of not liking each other. And it comes from colonization. Um, in the early 1900s, excuse me, in the early 1900s, when the story takes place, the girl Sanja is born in a little sleepy village inside what is now North Korea. Um, I believe it is the village of Busan. Uh, it's a beautiful, gorgeous fishing village where her father works as a fisherman as well as a boarding house manager uh, with her mother. Um, again, there's quite a few characters in this, so you'll have to bear with me when I say we're going to talk about the important ones. All right, so what you need to know about Pachinko is that there's mentions of suicide, there's mentions of sexual assault, and there's also, of course, mentions of uh, drug abuse, addiction, gambling, uh, pretty much everything that is uh, pretty violent of society. So without having said that, um, and without the mention of 
any spoilers, I will say that the story goes along a lot of dark and deep generational trauma and roads. If you don't feel comfortable with that, you don't have to listen to this podcast. I just warn everyone ahead of time, hey, there's some pretty dark topics in this book, and we got to talk about all of them. For instance, comfort women, which if you don't know what that is, that's a big part of history. Um, you know, like I said, sexual assault and, of course, sexual transmitted diseases. Um, but anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves when you talk about the story. So Pachinko follows this, basically this little girl, uh, Sandra, who grows up in this village. Uh, she grows up, uh, basically becomes a beautiful woman. Uh, when she's a teenager, she is nearly assaulted by the local Japanese ruling elite. There's a high school student group that basically goes and tries to attack her, um, a group of bullies. She is defended by a Korean uh, who is a very, very powerful man who basically is near her age. Um, he's a little bit older. Um, I believe he's in his 30s, and she's about like 17 which in that time period, I guess, was okay, but we would consider that statutory rape here in the United States. But anyway, um, basically this older Korean gentleman is actually a Yakuza, and he decides to have an affair, and like they get to know each other better. And I say have an affair, but really what he was doing is he wanted to have his side piece in Korea while he went back to his wife and kids in Japan. So he'd come back, he would have his fun, and he would go back, mosey on back to Japan and not tell anything to his wife and kids. Okay, so one day, Sandra eventually catches on to what's going on, but it's too late, she's already pregnant, and she doesn't know what to do. Uh, this gentleman offers to pay for her and her, you know, home, you know, he offers to give her an education, he offers to take care of her. Uh, Sandra has basically decided that this is dishonorable for multiple reasons. One, she was fooled into having sex with him and to think that, you know, there was a future there and a loving relationship there when there was none. And two, she doesn't really trust anyone anymore after this. This was a, a her first intimate encounter. You know, she has a hard time trusting people. It turns out at her boarding house, though, or her parents' boarding house, after her father had briefly fought an illness and tuberculosis and passes away, it comes down to her and her mother and their servants to take care of this boarding house. Um, and so it's at the boarding house she meets this man, Isaac. Uh, Isaac is Korean, who is on the way to Japan to stay with his brother, um, Isaac is a minister, you know, he's one of the earliest Christians in Korea. Uh, you know, he is basically going and following in the footsteps of what he believes is the best path for him. Um, he basically has no money, but he just looks very nice, well-dressed, and he basically talks with Sanja and offers a sort of consolation in order to help her, in order to relieve her from her shame, Isaac offers to marry Sanja and travel to Japan, where she will be his wife, he will take care of her, but really the purpose is to give her child a name, so that way the child is not forgotten, which is a very important part of Korean culture. Um, I imagine that they're not trying to gloss over in this book, but anyway, the idea is, is that Isaac is just being respectful as possible. He just wants Sanja to live a normal life, not be ostracized by society, and to not starve to death, and basically have a roof over her head, and have family, and have people she can be with. Um, and so she decides to take him up on this offer, marry this stranger, who seems very nice, and go to Japan. And so once she's in Japan, she learns a lot about society, because where she's from, it's a very small rural country village, and she enters Osaka. Osaka, of course, and this time, as we're getting into the 20s and then eventually the 1930s, is bustling, growing, 
she has her child, um, you know, like it, it becomes a huge, huge ordeal, like with Isaac's family, like they stay together in a, what is a Korean ghetto, uh, you know, the Koreans are all basically blocked off from the rest of society, and she talks about her experiences, um, she is looked down upon immediately upon entering Japan uh, by anyone, not even other Koreans, but not just that, but also made primarily by the Japanese locals. You know, she thought she would integrate into society. She's grateful for this opportunity to live in another country. But everyone there just instantly, you know, ostracizes her, yells at her, you know, doesn't have time for her because she doesn't speak the language. And, you know, she is pregnant. You know, she's, you know, a Korean who's living in their country and is having a Korean child. So it's going to be, you know, someone who hopefully grows up and thinks independently. But the Japanese at that time were wanting people to worship the emperor. The emperor was the divine being, according to their eyes. It's a whole thing, you know, cult worship, which I'm not going to even remotely touch right now. I'm just saying that in the 1920s and 1930s Japan, when she had her child, the child was taught to be Japanese. And so the child did not learn to grow up and be, you know, like Korean. It was, you know, her child was taught, uh, you know, Japanese from a young age. It was taught Japanese schooling, Japanese beliefs, you know, what was right and wrong. Um, and so Sanja is very disappointed by this. She wants her child to grow up to be Korean. You know, she's Korean. She speaks Korean. She wants to be able to talk with her son, obviously. Uh, so it's a big deal. And so she learns Japanese. And uh, Isaac goes to be a minister in this local church in Osaka. But unfortunately for her um, and him... Osaka does not have very many, uh, you know, Christians. Uh, there's not, especially not many Korean uh, Christians, and the money is very dry. There's not a lot of money there. It's very not forthcoming. Isaac and her struggle greatly to provide a living for their child, um, and Isaac unfortunately gets involved with the police, um, and he's taken to prison because he refused to basically worship the emperor. Instead, he said it was adultery. Um, and he was taken to prison and beaten and basically tortured to death. Um, and we learn about this over a long period of time in the book. But what's important to know is at part one of all the story is she goes to Osaka. She is with Isaac. Isaac gets arrested. Isaac is basically languishing away in prison when part two starts. And part two starts years and years later when they're not sure if Isaac is alive or dead. Uh, but one day her son comes home. Uh, you know, after, you know, school one day and finds a strange man in her, their house. It turns out that is Isaac. Isaac is on the verge of death. They take care of him. The, you know, their son has a very, very special moment with Isaac. Um, and, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, Isaac is telling him, you know, try to live a good life, try to be a good person, you know, do good in school and study and, you know, maybe one day you can be the best Korean and you can go places and it's, it's a whole thing, you know, be good and, you know, maybe Japan will accept you into society and you'll grow and be successful and maybe one day go to America or who knows what the world will have in store for you. And so then he passes away. Uh, their son decides that he's going to be a good student. Um, and of course, Isaac and uh, by this point in the story, Isaac and Sandra have had another child, so there's a brother, and they grow up together, um, brother and stepbrother, without having any inkling 
of any sort of problems. Like that they think they're completely blood relatives, that they're related, and that they think they're both Japanese, basically. Um, they start to integrate into society, and it's a, it's a whole big ordeal because this is all during World War II. So World War II is coming to its peak in the 40s, and that's when the mysterious figure who saved her shows up again and basically says, I need to protect my son. We need to get him out of Osaka because of all the American bombs. They do. They send him off to a small, tiny village. Sandra realizes that she has to work to pay off this debt. Like, now that Isaac has passed away and they don't have any money coming in, you know, she starts to open a kimchi shop, you know, where she sells kimchi, uh, you know, to the general public. And eventually she works her way into owning a sweet shop. Um, and this is all supported discreetly by her former Yakuza lover. So, uh, Sandra grows up and basically gets a deal with a restaurant and decides that she's going to take care of her children as much as possible. They live on this farm and she lives with her family there and she takes care of the kids any way she can. You know, unfortunately, they did not get to continue schooling because of this, but they did survive the atomic bombs, uh, which happened nearby in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, one of their uncles was hurt very badly in the blast and burned. And this book has a very, very detailed description of the pain and suffering that this person suffers throughout most of their life. You know, they grow up and they're basically suffering from burns and deformities uh, for the majority of their life. Okay, anyway, um, on that sad note, uh, you know, Sandra basically decides that she needs to run, a, like I said, this business in order to make sure that you know, her kids are well provided for. She encourages her children to study for school. Uh, her youngest child is, uh, you know, like there's basically two children. There's Noah, who's the oldest, and then we have the youngest, um, who I'm currently forgetting her name, but it will probably come to me later. But basically, Noah decides that he's going to be a powerful student, the best possible student. He's going to grow up like his father. Um, he decides to go uh, into the most prestigious university there is. Um, he doesn't have a way to pay for it. He works very, very hard. Um, the Yakuza gangster uh, decides that he wants to be a patron of this boy. Um, again, there's much heated debate about whether Sandra should take the money and allow her son this opportunity to better himself. Um, and it is actually through this that Sandra discovers that, or rather Noah discovers through Sanja that the money is actually coming from a man who's allegedly his father. Um, and Noah freaks out. It becomes a whole thing. He decides to run away, drop out of school, and he decides to go live in multiple towns in Japan and settle down away from his family. Um, Noah has a secret life. He decides not to tell anyone who's Korean. He goes and has a whole family together and kids and uh, basically keeps it a well-hidden secret and hopes to never see his family ever again. Uh, but Sanja does not accept this answer and decides that she will track down her son Noah and travels through uh, all of Japan, hiring private investigators, hiring the Yakuza people, anyone who will listen to her to help her look for her son. She eventually does find him, but Noah, by this point, is in the 70s, like this is in the early 70s, um, you know, does not accept you know, his fate. He's worried that, like, his mother will tell his wife and kids that he, they're actually Korean. Uh, Noah decides to take his own life when he sees his mother. 
Like they have a nice conversation towards the end uh, where basically he says, oh, we'll be together again and I'll call you and yeah, everything's fine. And he goes home and kills himself. And it's very sad and depressing. And the reason why he did this, of course, is because he was ashamed of being Korean. Nobody accepted him in society. He was basically forced to work for the only place he could get a job, which was a pachinko parlor. And his boss would not actually hire him unless he said that he was Japanese. And like I said, he lied and said that he was Japanese. So when it comes out he's Korean, he wouldn't have a job anymore. So like I said, he couldn't live with the shame. He couldn't live with the racism. He ends his life. It's horrible. It's horrifying. Um, the mother, Sandra, is devastated. Uh, the whole family is devastated by these series of events. Um, other people in the story are involved in their own tragedies as well, including alcohol addiction, like I said, as well as um, AIDS. Uh, and there's other just horrible things that happen throughout the story. And you might be thinking by this point, Scott, why on earth would I want to read a story like this? Like, that doesn't interest me anymore. Like, that's just cruel and unusual. And this is my point. This is the part that I want to get to. Um, there were people in her family, in Sandra's family, as well as Sandra, who did succeed against all odds. Sandra is one of those people. She survived. She thrived. And yes, she did have help through, you know, her lovers. But, you know, she did manage to be shrewd and smart and intelligent. And she built a life. Um, and she lived to a very, very ripe old age into the 1989 um, in fact, she was alive at the end of the book. And it's just a, a, a long story of her basically saying that she accepts all that has happened in her life. You know, from meeting Isaac and him dying in the 40s as a martyr uh, to being, you know, the mother of these two boys that grow up and have vastly different lives, but end up both working for pachinko parlors because they're Korean and nobody will hire them. And then, you know, their successes and their failures, she lives vicariously through them, watches how her grandkids grow up, and eventually sees the success and failure of them as they eventually move to other countries like the United States. Um, and, you know, the ending of the book basically has this moment where her grandson is uh, coming back from the United States. He decides he wants to get a job in Japan, and he learns very quickly that because he is Korean, he is actually the fall person for this company, uh, which is terrible. Um, you know, and the idea behind it all is that life wouldn't change in Japan. Uh, you know, he's that person was better off living in the United States and living a normal life and being accepted into society um, in the United States. And that might sound very cruel, but based on the multiple, multiple generations of stories in this book and comfort women and, like I said, the utter uh, monstrosities and racism these characters face, I can easily see why they would want to leave Japan. Um, they'll never be accepted into society, um, and it's just it's a sad sort of like ending. But the idea is that Sanja, at the very end of the story, decides to go and decides that this is the moment I've been waiting for. I'm going to say my goodbyes to everyone and basically drops her pictures of, that she has of her children um, and her husband into the grave, and that's the end of the story. So, okay, so like I said, it's a highly rated story, got a 4.33 out of 5 on Goodreads, but what did I give it? I give it a 3. Honestly, the story was too dark at times for me, and I just felt that it was too much. But I did enjoy learning the historical accuracy of real-life people in those situations, um, like I said, and 
Korea and what it was like to be um, in Korea when, uh, you know, like the North was taking over and the South was fighting the North and the 50s, what it was like when the Americans and the Chinese and the Japanese were all fighting for control of Korea. All this is very important. Um, you know, I like that aspect of the story. I just did not like all the dark things that happened to the characters. I just wanted the characters to be happy. And this is not that story. If you're looking for a happy ending, this is not it. But that's Pachinko. Um, go check it out now. Like I said, it won a ton of awards and it was a really good book. I just uh, didn't personally like it, I think, as much as other people did. But uh, thanks for checking this one out. Uh, like I said, don't forget to like and share and subscribe. And uh, thanks for listening.